Hi sisters, this is Nani, Mechlet, Dina, and Lauren, and we are the Naughty Girls. Spelled K-N-O-T-T-Y, unfortunately our producer JMC is unable to record this podcast with us, but shout out to Jordan. We are here to talk about knot theory and the important women in math and their impact on us. Here at Girls Talk Math, we learned about knot theory. We learned how to solve knots with algebraic techniques, observed some features of knots, and learned other interesting qualities of knots. During this podcast, we will include audio clips from an interview that we had from the mathematician Erica Flappin to help describe knot theory and women in math. First, we are going to tell you a little bit about knot theory. Two properties of knot theory are knots and links. Knots are loops in three-dimensional space that don't intersect themselves. The most basic knot is the unknot, which is just a circle. Unknots can take many forms, like a figure eight or a square knot. A link is just several knots which don't intersect each other. The way we used to study and experiment the knot theory is by using string and pipe cleaners to create knots and unknots. The goal is to define these polynomials so the knots or unknots equal the same thing. The bracket works by modifying each crossing in the diagram so that we are eventually left with a collection of unlinked knots. We also have to orient our knots. An orientation for a knot is roughly speaking a choice of direction to travel along the knot. For links, orienting parts of a link in different ways may give different shapes unlike most knots. Knot theory is important and is mainly used in science fields like the study of DNA. This is what Erica told us. So it's important for a couple of reasons that are not obvious. One is that it has applications in science, which you might not realize. For example, it turns out that both DNA can be knotted and proteins can be knotted. And in fact, one of my current research projects involves a particular protein, um, which is in all of our brains and it has a knot in it. It has a knot that, I don't know if you know about the different names of knots, it has the 5-2 knot which has five crossings. And it turns out that if this protein degrades, like falls apart, then you can get things like Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's, different things that can affect your brain. And the way that is that happens, it seems, or what scientists believe, is that when it's supposed to have this five crossing knot, if it turns out it only has the three crossing knot, which is the trefoil knot, then it starts to degrade and you get these diseases. So that's an example of where it's important to understand exactly what the knot is in order to study the diseases. Um, another way that it comes up in DNA is that when a, a baby is being formed, DNA um, recombines, separates and recombines. And in order to do that, you have a loop of DNA which cuts through itself with the help of an enzyme and can become knotted on the way. And in order to understand the way that DNA recombines, scientists want to understand the knots that are produced. It might seem like a very abstract field of math that has no applications in reality. Actually, it has some applications. And I'll just go off on a little tangent here to say that Often in math, there's an area of what seems like pure math, and when people are learning about it, it seems really, really pure, like it has no applications to anything. And then only after people know about it, then they realize that they're applications. So another example of that is what's called number theory, 
which is the study of primes and the way that numbers can be factored, which might seem like an easy thing if you're talking about like the factors of, you know, 54 or whatever. But when you're talking about the factors of a number that might have 100 digits, it's not at all obvious how to do it. And even with a computer, it's not easy to do. And it turns out, so that whole field was studied a long time ago, but it turns, and it's still being studied, it turns out that factoring of primes plays an important role in computer security. So, so when they were starting this field, like when they were starting knot theory, they didn't know that it would have these applications, but afterwards, after people begin learning about it, then they see how it can actually be applied. We learned that there were mathematicians who studied knot theory. One of those mathematicians is Erica Flappen. We interviewed her to learn more about her life and to get a better understanding of her career. Erica said that she had a special gift for math. Math was her favorite subject growing up. She said that she was advancing in math at young ages. She majored in math when she was in college, and she also got introduced to computer science. When she was growing up, schools didn't have a set curriculum, so she just spent all her time from kindergarten to seventh grade reading math books. And that's why she became very strong in math, but not as talented in other subjects. This made her love for math even stronger, and it made her feel like she didn't have any other choice but to pursue math as a career. This is her experience. I wasn't inspired. I was uninspired. So I'm going to tell you the story of this. So I'm, like, pretty old. So I'm 61, so I'm a lot older than you, and I'm a lot older than your parents. And so back when I was in elementary school... There weren't so many, like right now, there's a laws about what you have to cover in school. Um, and there's like what's called the Common Core and all this sort of thing. Well, when I was a kid, that wasn't so. And I went to a school that was set up as kind of an um, a experimental school where people who were studying education could do experiments on children. And not anything like giving us poison or, or electric shocks or anything like that. It would be sort of studying the way we learn things. And because of that, there was no curriculum. We were just sort of put in classrooms, and there were lots of things you could do. And basically, as long as you weren't disruptive, you could do whatever you wanted. So some kids would read a lot. Some kids would do art. The boys were always getting in trouble because they weren't being quiet the way they were supposed to, I would just start reading through these math books from when I was in first grade. Okay, so I liked that. I wasn't, no one inspired me. I just liked it. It was fun. Okay. But what happened is that I went through this school from kindergarten until sixth grade. And basically, you know, I learned to read. But other than that, I just did all these math puzzles and learned math and did fun things with math. And then I went to a regular junior high school starting in seventh grade. And I didn't know anything. Like, I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know anything. I didn't know where, where any country was other than America. I didn't know there was a revolutionary war in America. I didn't know anything about science. I didn't know how to spell. I didn't know any grammar. Like, I didn't know anything. But I was very advanced in math because I'd just been spending all of my time at school working through these math books. And so I went to this regular school and I, this junior high, I actually placed out of junior high math with some tests. And so I started taking high school math, but on all my other subjects, I did badly because I didn't know anything. I'd, I'd also never taken a test in my life. I'd never had to memorize anything, even like spelling words, nothing. So, 
So I really had a sort of negative experience with my other subjects. And so I basically went to college with the idea, like I did graduate high school. I went to the co college with the idea that, well, math is the only thing I can do because I'm already so behind in these other subjects that I won't be able to catch up. Um, so, you know, of course, eventually, like I do know about other countries and the revolution and stuff like that. But, um, but I think it was more a question of like, I inspired myself and I felt like I didn't have any other option. And in fact, let me, let me add with that, that feeling like I had no other option was actually a great motivator when it got tough because math gets tough for everyone, no matter how smart you are, no matter how hard you try, at some point math starts getting tough and you start feeling frustrated and like, am I gonna get it? And what if I you know, don't do well on this test? And I never did well on tests because I didn't start taking them until I was in seventh grade. And so feeling like I didn't have any choice was like, well, it may be hard, but I've got to do this because I don't have anything else I can do. So, so that kept me going. She has created many theories that include the spatial graph theory and the mirror image symmetry from different viewpoints. She is not only a mathematician, she is also an author. She is known for her book called Nods, Molecules, and the Universe, an, introdu an, an introduction to topology and when topology meets chemistry. Erica's greatest takeaway from her book is that math can be fun. Math doesn't have to be considered a boring subject with hard concepts. Erica is a visual learner, so she also drew pictures in her book to better interpret her messages and get her book's topics across. Here's what she had to say. So I was already in graduate school. I didn't know anything about knot theory when I was in high school or in college. Um, and I found, I don't know if you know about different learning styles, like some people learn by listening and some people learn by reading and different things. Well, one thing I realized was that I learned visually um, and I was very interested in visual things. So for example, when I was in high school, my favorite math class was geometry because geometry was the only one where it was very visual. You know, algebra, that was fine. Like I always liked all aspects of math, but I was more excited by the visual things. And so then when I was in college, I took all the math courses and I did take geometry in college, which was more advanced than high school geometry. And I took a course on what's called topology, which you may have heard of or not, which is like geometry, except you allow for flexible things. And I liked that. And then I went to graduate school, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I still liked the visual things. And then one of my professors suggested that I read a book about knot theory. And then I really liked it. And I decided that's what I wanted to do. Erica Flappen is a good example of an intelligent female that is proving to the world that women can do anything they set their minds to. Erica said her favorite professor was her female professor that was understanding and encouraged her to do her best. Erica also helps encourage women in STEM to follow their dreams and accomplish their goals. She enjoys the feeling of being part of their journey. Erica said that the main key to accomplishing a goal is persistence. She said it's not how quick you can get the concept or how quick you achieve. It's about your willingness to continue to learn, grow, and advance. She is very passionate about helping women in the STEM field and helping create equality in these areas. 
Erica dealt with many issues facing gender inequality with being a woman in the STEM community. She was also the only female in her higher math courses, and she rarely had female professors. This is how she felt about it. Things have changed a lot now because there are a lot more women. So when I was in college, I was the only girl in every single math class I took. And in graduate school, I was the only girl, okay? And like when I was, so when I was in college, originally when I went there, there were five math professors and they were all men. And then when I was a junior, they hired a woman. Um, and when I went to graduate school, there were a hundred math professors, three of whom were women. And because like different people teach different classes at different times, of those three women, I only had one once. So I really felt pretty isolated back then in a way that is less so, much less so now. Although I should say, I actually just yesterday came back from a conference in Korea, which was fun, but I was the only woman at the conference. Mm -hmm. So it's still like, it's much better than it was. And it depends on the conference. Like I went to another conference a few weeks back when I was still in the US in um, Berkeley, where there were a lot of women, I didn't count them. There were enough that I didn't count them. There were enough that when I went to the bathroom, there was a line, which is a good thing. Like when I was in Korea and I went to the bathroom, there was never a line. I was the only one who ever went in that bathroom. So, so it's definitely the case that if you're the only one, then you can feel self-conscious. And in particular, you can feel self-conscious about stuff that you shouldn't have to think about, like how are you dressing? Like the men aren't thinking about how they're dressing, but but if you're the only woman, and if you're in a group with lots of people, lots of women, you might not think about it, but if you're the only woman, then you can be self-conscious about are you underdressing, like just wearing jeans and a t-shirt and they're not gonna take you seriously, or are you dressing in like too sexy a way where they're not gonna take you seriously? So you, you begin thinking about this stuff, which you shouldn't have to think about. You should be able to just do math. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, that's, you know, and I should say the conference I went to at Berkeley had women of all ages. There was a woman with blue hair. Actually it was blue and pink and purple. There was like every, you know, because there were enough women, people were just being themselves, which I thought was nice. On her free time, Erica likes to spend time with her family. She has a husband, a daughter, a son-in-law, and a granddaughter, all of which are mathematicians. Erica's favorite knot is the A17 knot because it is the smallest knot that has a property where putting an arrow up cannot be turned down. And last but not least, we asked Erica what her favorite number was, and she said it was pi, because pi is important, but also interesting. She said that the number one is, is also very important, but it wasn't nearly as interesting as pi. Erica Flappin is a very influential woman that is setting a good example for young girls out there who are interested in STEM or pursuing successful careers. She loves working for equality and wants more women to have the confidence to work in the STEM field. This is what she said. I just like seeing them grow and develop and um, gain confidence and sort of think about what they want to do with their lives. So, so let me say one thing that makes me a little different than some other professors. I, you haven't, you're in high school, so you haven't had professors so much. But a lot of times professors 
feel like if you're a good student, then you should want to be like them. So if you're a good student and I'm a professor, every one of you should want to be a professor. But that's never been my attitude. My feeling is that I want every one of my students, male or female, to be able to do what they want to do. And it's my job to help them gain confidence and have perspectives on the different options they can do so that they'll end up doing the thing they want to do. Like, you don't, it's kind of like sometimes your parents want you to be like them, but you don't have to be like them and you don't have to be like me. What you have to do is be whatever's going to make you feel happy. You know, and for example, there are, there's a lot of, math is one of the best fields because there's so many different things you can do with it. And some of them are going to pay you a lot of money. Some of them are not going to pay you a lot of money, like being a professor or being a high school teacher is not one of the more lucrative things you can do with math. But, but it's sort of, I feel like it's important for me as a mentor to help each individual see what's important to them. And for some people, you know, money or the opportunity to be in a particular location, like if you're a professor, you go where there's a job. It might be in Wyoming, you know, like it's not necessarily where you want to be. Whereas a lot of other fields, for example, the field of statistics, which also uses math, is a much better field in the sense that there's a lot more jobs that use statistics and therefore you can make more money and you can also choose to be like decide, oh, I want to be in DC or wherever, you know, and I'll be able to find a job there. So this is just my idea that every individual should be able to decide what they want to do. And I, as a mentor, want to help them decide that and help them feel confident that they can do that. And I guess I didn't say that specific about women, but let me just say for women that girls, for whatever reason, which we can make up is like genetic or learned or the environment or whatever, for whatever reason, tend to be less confident than men or girls compared to boys. And so I want my girls and women students to be more confident. And honestly, often it's the girls who do the best, even though they're the ones who are least confident, because it's often the girls who are willing to sit down and do the work and do it step by step and not just jump to conclusions and think about the logic and the self-discipline that you need to really get ahead. And it's kind of unfortunate that they, that often the girls don't realize that they're the better students because nobody knows what anyone else's grade is. And you can have the boys showing off or being just more confident and cocky and all this. And then the girls lose confidence more when actually they're the better students. On that note, the Naughty Ghouls are signing off. Thank you for letting us share our not there experience with you. Here at Girls Talk Math. Bye! <laughs>